Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Amen. Amen. Good morning again, and good morning to those watching online as well. Thank you for engaging uh, this way this morning. We will be taking communion uh, shortly, and if you're watching online, please join us in communion. Prepare some elements to take at home, and if you're in the room, please participate as well. If uh, that is something you want to do, I'll tell you here at the Baptist Church of Westchester, we believe this is not our table, but God's table, and is open to all who seek to know and follow Christ. So we'll be doing that in a little bit. But before uh, we go to communion, we're going to spend some time looking at the scriptures on this Epiphany Sunday. Can you think about a time in your life where you had a wake-up call? Maybe you had said it because you were staying at a hotel and you needed the hotel to wake you up. People do that. Or perhaps you called one in on a friend who you knew was staying at a hotel so that the hotel would wake them up at a terrible hour. Not that I would ever have done something like that. Perhaps something happened in your life, something happened in your home. Perhaps you're uh, a parent of small children who like to just show up very close to your face at any given hour and be your wake-up call. I also know something about that. Today, as we start this new year together, we're looking at a bit of a wake-up call that is the start of the Gospel of Mark, an announcement to the people of God, an announcement to us. Wake up. God is on the move. God is here. God is doing something. And when you get the news that, that somebody is coming, that there's a surprise visit that someone you've been anticipating is finally showing up. You may respond to that in a variety of ways. You get that calendar notification of a meeting that you scheduled, but you forgot, and suddenly you have to scramble. You get that text, I'm on the way, and you think, were they really coming? You find out your boss or your boss's boss is about to show up. What do I have to do to get ready? You may scramble, clean the house, make sure your office is in order. Uh, there's a saying, a joke that was told in uh, Britain before the queen died, that wherever the queen went, she smelled fresh paint. <laughs> we hear somebody is coming and we get excited, we prepare. Today we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark and see this call, this wake-up call to prepare. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look just at the first chapter of Mark. These different stories that emerge in that first chapter that help us see who this Jesus is that shows up in our lives and in our world and what it means for us. And so we begin at the very beginning. I hope through this series, we'll see that Jesus gives his followers a new perspective that changes how we see our world, our reality, that changes how we live but today I want us to start where these people who first heard this message would have been, a place where we are ourselves sometime, asking this question, where is God? It is the question that Epiphany helps us answer this holy day where we celebrate the revealing of God to people. We're asking this question, where is God? 
Perhaps you are asking it today as well. In a time of difficulty, in a time of wilderness, a time of challenge, in a time of frustration, maybe as you look at the world around you, you're wondering, where is God? Today I hope that we see a little bit about where God is as we turn to the Scriptures. And I want to start in Mark chapter 1. I want to start at the very beginning. And I'm using a different translation of the, the New Testament than I usually use. This is from the New Testament for everyone, but I like how it brings this text to life. So you can read along on the screens or in your Bibles. This is Mark 1, 1 through 6. This is where the good news starts. The good news of Jesus, the Messiah, God's Son. Isaiah the prophet put it like this. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of me, and he will clear the way for you. So a shout goes up in the desert. Make way for the Lord. Clear a straight path for him. John the baptizer appeared in the desert. He was announcing a baptism of repentance to forgive sins. The whole of Judea and everyone who lived in Jerusalem went out to him. They confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore camel hair clothes with a leather belt around his waist. He used to eat locusts and wild honey. So welcome to the beginning of Mark's Gospel and the introduction to this surprising and strange character, John the Baptist. A wake-up call, prepare the way. You'll notice that John is not maybe who we would expect to announce God among us. In the movie industry, right, if there's a, a, some kind of movie to promote, people show up with a red carpet for a premiere, for award shows. They're asked questions about their work, and people ask them, and, and what are you wearing, right? Who designed this? There is no red carpet at the beginning of Mark for our new king, and instead we find wilderness. And instead of John wearing Versace or Gucci, we find that John is wearing camel hair clothes, belted, sensibly, with locusts and honey on his breath. What? <laughs> what a strange start to this good news. What a strange wake-up call if someone dressed like this with this diet came to tell me something and alert me to give me a wake-up call, I would pay attention. John is this important figure in our story because he is this tie to everything that has gone before, everything that's happening now and everything that will come. He's perhaps part of this community that lived out in the desert and was practicing a baptism with water at the time. We're not sure, but he shows up from the wilderness because Mark wants the people to remember the wilderness. To be honest about the wilderness, to hear good news from the wilderness. It's the place where the people of Israel in the Hebrew Bible wandered and prayed. The place that they found themselves after they were set free from slavery, where they learned about who God is from God speaking on a mountaintop. Since that time in the wilderness, the people had found themselves in different kinds of wilderness, longing for God to show up to set the world right, to rescue. John symbolizes the wilderness, the places where they had been, the places where maybe we are even now sometimes, the desert, the dry places. 
Some of you know I lived in El Paso, Texas for my middle school years, and I got to know the desert. My backyard was just sand. That's all it was. In the summer, I'd gather with friends to play baseball. Every morning on a sandy lot, we had to meet at 7 a.m. because by 10 or 11, it was too hot to be outside. We had to be careful fielding the baseball because in this lot, there were these things we called stickers. And if you've never been in the desert, you don't know what they are. But let me tell you, there's these thorny things that stick to the baseball or your hands or whatever they can find. They would get everywhere. From time to time, we'd have to pause our game and turn away from the wind, hide our faces as the sand would whip across the field. You can still sometimes taste the grit that could get into your food from these sandstorms that would roll across. I came to love living in El Paso, but the desert is a harsh place. We would long for rain that would give a tinge of green to all the brown everywhere, that would bring cooler temperatures and some moisture in the air that would stop all the dust, at least for a little while. I have at times also found myself in spiritual deserts. We all do from time to time. Where we ask, where is God? Where the way that we're used to engaging with God or seeing God doesn't seem to be there Perhaps our community is different. Perhaps what we had experienced with faith now looks different. People perhaps have let us down. Perhaps just through the circumstances of life, we find it hard to move forward with our faith. I think the first thing Marx wants us to see is that no matter where we are, God is. That God is present in the wilderness that calls out from the wilderness, that perhaps even in the wilderness, God can shape us and make us and bring us good news, wake-up calls. God is still at work. John the baptizer shows us that God is at work in the desert. John the baptizer is honest that the wilderness is real, that we can be honest about the deserts we face ourselves, they are challenges. There are times when all we can do is rely on God in the desert and still we feel like, where are you, God? But a voice cries out in the desert. One is coming. The text says he was announcing a baptism of repentance to forgive sins. All of Judea, everyone who lived in Jerusalem went out to him. They confessed their sins and they were baptized in the river Jordan. John is saying that we get ready for God not by fixing up how we look. He certainly didn't model that for us, right? Not by tidying up or doing some fresh paint anywhere, but but to respond to God with repentance. That is, to turn and orient our lives towards the way of God and not towards the way of ourselves. To commit to follow God wherever God takes us. See, repentance is a response to our God who is calling out, who is present. It is turning to God and committing to meet God and to be with God's people, all people in our world. Mark says the people went and they confessed their sins. 
They admitted together that they had not been seeking God or loving neighbor. This was a wake-up call. See, where are we? How are we living? They had perhaps been in it for themselves, perhaps ignoring what God was calling them to do or what God was saying about them. Where is God? We find these meet God in confession and in repentance, that when we are willing to admit our own need for help, our own failures, our own self-reliance, this opens us up to ask for help and find the God who helps. But I want you to notice something about this passage in Mark that we often forget in our Western Americanized reading of the text. They confessed, the people, not just individuals. And it's important that we individually confess to God about the things that we are dealing with individually, of course, but they also confessed as a community how together they neglected the orphan, the widow, the marginalized. What is this wake-up call for the church today? Do we confess together the ways we've benefited from things that harm others, how we've been silent about things like racism or sexism, greed or homophobia. Together, they share that they need God to do something in their world and in them and that they will do it together. John baptizes them. Baptism is a sign of commitment, a public profession that we are following Jesus, we are baptized to confess that we believe Jesus is Lord and say to our community together, yes, we are a family. It is a step of obedience. As my one mentor often says, it is a willingness to be dunked underwater in a room full of dry people. That requires some serious obedience. It is a little bizarre. It's okay to admit it. But we confess that we need God. And we do it together as a community. So we are having a a baptism course beginning soon, dependent on when people who are interested in baptism want to do that. And so if you are interested in baptism, this is the ad right here. This is the promo. Come talk to me. I would love to talk with you about that. We have a few who are interested in doing that, and we would love to have a few more if you feel like God might be inviting you to obey in this step. But I want to keep reading the text and see what happens next. We see this community, they're they're wondering where God is. John has said, from the wilderness, God is coming. They get together, they they repent, they confess, they form community together looking for God, and then what do we see in Mark 1, 7 and 8? John said, someone a lot stronger than me is coming close behind John used to tell them, I don't deserve to squat down and undo his sandals. I've plunged you into water. He's going to plunge you in the Holy Spirit. John said, someone greater is coming. And he will baptize not just with water, but the very Spirit of God that gives power to the people of God. It is a baptism that shows us new life and new vision and new power. He says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Rabbis or teachers of this time, they would have apprentices or disciples. 
And disciples would do all kinds of things for the rabbi. They would help in all kinds of ways and do all kinds of things and, I don't know, get them coffee. I'm not sure exactly if there's a correlation to that in our time, but maybe something like it. But they wouldn't untie shoes. <laughs> that was one of the things that was considered beneath the role of a disciple. John is saying he's not even worthy to untie Jesus' shoes. Now remember, this is the same Jesus who will untie the sandals and wash the feet of his followers, but that's a different message. John says, Jesus is coming. One greater. There's a greater baptism. And Jesus will come and be baptized, we'll see, and then be sent into the wilderness. And we find that Jesus is as unfazed by the wilderness and enters it willingly. He enters into the desert to be with the people there in the wilderness to join in with us. And let's keep reading and see what happens. This is verses 9 through 13. This is how it happened. Around that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. At that very moment, as he was getting out of the water, he saw the heavens open or torn open and the Spirit came down like a dove onto him and there came a voice out of the heavens saying, You are my wonderful Son. You make me very glad. Now some people are puzzled by this passage because, wait, if Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is perfect, why be baptized John's doing this baptism for forgiveness and the repentance of sin. Does that mean that Jesus needed repentance from sin? What does all this mean? Um, that's probably too much theologizing. What's happening here is Jesus is giving us a model of what it means to obey and to join into this community, to be one with these people. And as Jesus is baptized, then the heavens are torn open, the text says, and this voice says, you are my wonderful son. So this Epiphany Sunday is the day after the Sundays of Christmas where we celebrate the Epiphany of Jesus. It means like a revealing, a disclosing, a showing us of God with us, and often it's tied to the three kings, the Magi, who come and bring gifts. The first Gentiles to discover that, that Jesus is God. But we also tie it to this moment in the baptism, because in this moment, Mark gives us this clear picture of who Jesus is. My wonderful son, you make me glad. It is the same declaration that comes at the end of Mark's gospel when a Roman soldier confesses after Jesus is killed, this is the son of God. Mark's making all these ties to the end of the story, like this verb for tear open like the heavens did. It's the same passive verb implying it's done by God that we find later at the end of the book when Jesus dies on the cross and the temple curtain, the curtain that separated the holiness of God from humanity was torn open. And in Jesus we see there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. See, when the early Christians heard this passage of Jesus' baptism, they didn't start arguing about theology. Instead, they heard this confession about who Jesus is and they thought about their own baptism. 
And they thought about how Jesus taught things like, I am one with the Father and you are one with us. And how when they are adopted into the family of God and become co-heirs with Jesus, that this message that God gives about Christ becomes a message that is for them as well. That when Christ takes this message from God and then enters into our story, God looks at us, sees Jesus and said, you are my child. My wonderful child. You make me very glad. I'll tell you, in our culture today, we, we, we maybe aren't super comfortable with giving those kinds of big words for our, our children or receiving those as children. I mean, sometimes we, we didn't come from a background where we had people who would say, hey, I'm really proud of you. But isn't that something we want? With my small kids who all the time say, Mommy, Daddy, look at this! And then do something that I'm supposed to be excited about, but I'm not sure why. But I give them the, yeah, way to go. You can stand on one foot for a second. But they desire that for their mom, for their dad, to see them, to be proud, to care for them. I think in my own life, my own relationship with my family, my parents, my desire just for them to see me and be proud. The early Christians heard this story, and they knew what it meant about Jesus, and they knew what it meant about them. So we ask, where is God? In the wilderness? But also cheering us on, with us, seeing us, Imagine for a second your own baptism. Perhaps something that, that you have done and you remember and you can remember it. Perhaps it was done before you could remember it. Perhaps it's something you haven't done but maybe you want to do. Imagine it for a second and coming out of the water and hearing the voice of God. You are my wonderful child. You make me very glad. You're asking, where is God? But I think this also answers the question of who is God? Epiphany shows us that Jesus is God with us, but also shows us what God is like. For many of us, we imagine God as a bully, a threatening, angry parent ready to zap us or slam the door on us to kick us out. <laughs> Perhaps people have used Scripture and used language about God to, to give us that image. Mark wants us to remember. To remember this language given to the Son, the same language given to us when we turn to Christ. As one writer says, God looks at us and says, you are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted in you. You are God's dear, dear child. The whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point, that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized, every believing Christian, He says to us what He said to Jesus on that day. 
He sees us as we are in Christ, a beloved child. In El Paso, when it would rain, it didn't just rain a little. (laughs) It would rain maybe once or twice a year, and it would rain like crazy. The ground couldn't handle it. The water would rise. We would go and play in the rain. Everything would shut down. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) The sand on the roads turns into like ice when it gets wet. It's unreal. You don't go anywhere. You bask in the rain. Perhaps, as we think about our own stories and our own experiences, our own moment in time, as we start this new year, perhaps we feel like God is far away. Perhaps we feel like we're in a desert. I pray this passage is like rain. Where is God? You can imagine standing there in the desert as the rain was falling, trying to get out of the rain. Good luck. (laughs) Could not be escaped. In the same way, so is God and God's love around us. James K.A. Smith, writer and theologian, said, A curious inversion happens at Epiphany. The manifestation, the, the appearance of glory rebounds to make the mundane shine brightly. In everything, we see what God is up to. No longer do we ask the question, where is God? But we ask the question, where is God not? God shows up and reveals that God is with us. And it changes how we see the world. That we can learn to live differently, to look and see where God is at work, to trust that God is with us. And it doesn't mean that you'll never be in the desert again. You will. But it does mean these words said about Jesus are always said about you. You are my child. You make me so glad. You are my child. You make me so glad. If we hold on to nothing else, may we hold on to that today. So I want to give you some action steps for this coming week and month. The first is to consider or remember baptism. If you've been baptized, I want you to, to remember it. To think about that moment and what it means and how you go forward from it. If you've not, I want you to consider it. To think about about the importance of baptism. And I want to challenge you to read Mark's Gospel this month. We're going to spend a lot of time in the first chapter of Mark. But the whole story weaves together. And it's a great place to start the year off. To read one of the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Mark. It's a short one. It's fast-paced. Lots of action. It's Yeah, it's the action movie of the Gospels. Read Mark's Gospel this month. And as we go out into this new year together, I thought it would be good and right for us to confess together. So I want to lead us in an epiphany confession written by Bruce Pruer. You'll see the text uh, for you to read along with on the screen when it's time for that. And this is a confession for us to make as a people of God. Let's practice this confession together. 
The coming of Christ was not and is not widely welcomed. Wherever there is epiphany, there will also be darkness. The darkness of old superstitions and dogmas which refuse to fade away easily. The darkness of pride and the half-truths that have masqueraded as wisdom. The darkness of entrenched evil that hates the light and tries to dispose of it. The darkness of apathy that cannot be bothered to open the shutters. So let us make our confession together. Most holy and loving God, we admit to you and to each other that we are creatures who either through foolishness or willfulness often choose darkness instead of light. Here and now we surrender to you our fears and proud opinions, our short-sighted folly and our pompous wisdom, our deep-seated sins and our apathy towards change and renewal. Please forgive the darkness and pain we have inflicted on others and restore to the light star of hopes and ideals within our souls. Trusting your grace, we earnestly pray, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. My friends, Epiphany is good news. The light that comes comes not to sear and to blind, but to save. Christ Jesus came into this world to save people, to save creation. And as we turn and confess to Him, I declare that you are forgiven. So as we go into this new year together, taking on a new start, may we take it up with forgiveness and with thanksgiving. May we live without shame. May we know how God feels about us. May we respond to the God who sees us as a beloved child. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ enable us in all of that. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.